So in meditation, we create the skill of one-pointed attention, detachment, and because that freedom has allowed me to use my conscience, now my meditation practice is making me more creative. And in the process, I am building the muscles of willpower to do what's to be done when it's to be done and not do what's not to be done when it's not to be done. So one-pointed attention, detachment, creativity, and willpower are the four tools and skills sets that we learn through meditation. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Patrick Cook. Welcome to Being. Leonard Perlmutter is the founder and director of the American Meditation Institute and the originator of National Conscience Month. He studied in India under Swami Rama of the Himalayas, whose lab studies at the Menninger Institute demonstrated that blood pressure, heart rate, and the autonomic nervous system can be voluntarily controlled. He is the author and editor of Transformation, the Journal of Yoga Science as Holistic Mind-Body Medicine, and his most recent book is entitled Your Conscience the key to unlock limitless wisdom and creativity and solve all of life's challenges. Leonard Perlmutter, welcome to being. If you're enjoying the content, please do subscribe to the show and get a new episode delivered directly to your device as soon as they're published. And as always, I love hearing from you. So please do rate and review the episode on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whichever platform you prefer. Also, I'm proud to announce that the show is now available on YouTube. And you can follow us on our new Instagram page, at Being with Patrick Cook. For show notes and more information, head on over to being-podcast.com. Now, on with the show. Leonard Perlmutter, welcome to Being. Thank you so much for uh, being here today. Oh, thank you very much, Patrick. I really appreciated the invitation. It's a pleasure. Looking forward to this conversation. Um, you are the founder and director of the American Meditation Institute and the author of several books, the most recent of which is called Your Conscience, The Key to Unlock Limitless Wisdom and Creativity and Solve All of Life's Challenges. Wow. I haven't had the pleasure of uh, reviewing the book yet, but that sounds like an amazing title. Right off the bat, I'm curious about the, the word conscience. Um, would you be open to sharing what is your definition of conscience? Well, the conscience is one of four functions of the mind. Of course, who knew that we even had functions of the mind, <laughs> let alone four of them? Although I will say that uh, as, a, as a child, and I'm sure this might have been true for you too, uh, at least I, I thought there were different voices in my mind mm. <laughs> uh, with yep. different agendas. <laughs> and uh, often uh, there was a, a conflict going on. Uh, so uh, it was sort of a relief. Uh, to learn that, yes, there are actually four uh, functions of the mind, four voices, and the conscience, interestingly, is the only function of the mind of the four that can discriminate, determine, judge, and decide. Wow. When, that was a game changer for me when I learned it, because what it, what it said to me 
as the only function of the mind that can discriminate, determine, judge, and decide. It meant to me that if that were true, then every single choice I have ever made, every single choice I will ever make, has been and always will be made by the conscience. Interesting. Okay. So that makes it very, very, very important because I know that when I take an action, it brings about a consequence that can bring me the happiness, the health, the, the security that I desire, or possibly pain. Mm. And so uh, I wanted the conscience to become my friend, so mm. I began to experiment with it. <laughs> it sounds like a, a worthy pursuit. I'm curious, though, if you wouldn't mind, um, just for context, explaining what the other three functions of the mind would be if the first one is conscience. Sure. Uh, another one is the ego. Mm. Now, we're sort of familiar uh, uh, from psychology, Western psychology, about the ego, but <clears throat> the Western psychology's definition of ego is uh, far from complete. Mm. You know, generally we have this uh, uh, understanding that, well, the ego is something uh, when somebody has a big ego, uh, they're full of themselves, they're puffed mm. up. Uh, with their own self-importance or self-success, but uh, that's uh, that's a very, very, very narrow definition of ego. So when I think about the ego, I see a function of the mind that really appears to be hardwired to the reptilian brain. Yes, uh, and the ego seems to be doing doing the bidding very often for the reptilian brain. Mm. So. Uh, I began to study, well, what is the reptilian brain really uh, all about? And it's really all about self-preservation. You know, uh, the reptilian brain keeps on saying over and over again, as does uh, the ego now, oh, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to lose the form. Mm -hmm. And because of that, uh, they are also, both of them, ego and reptilian brain, heavily invested in fear of mm. annihilation. Yes. So just about any kind of change is equated by the ego as a death mm. to its power, to its reality, to its existence as it knows it now. Mm. So that's a challenge for us because what the ego does is the ego always interjects itself into every single relationship that we have. And in the midst of every single relationship, the ego cuts that relationship in half mm. and says, whoa, this is pleasant. I like it. Let's reprise it. I think this is good. <laughs> and on the other hand, over here, this is unpleasant. I think that's bad. I don't like that. Let's eliminate it. And so... What that means is, and what it meant to me as I began experimenting, was that, gosh, if I simply listen to the limited perspective of the ego 24-7, uh, I'm likely to take an action that is going to bring me pain. Mm. Because I already know from my limited perspective, that which appears as pleasant isn't always good for me. Mm. And that which is unpleasant isn't always bad for me. And so if, I, if my mind becomes addicted 
to pleasant and unpleasant likes and dislikes, that mental inflexibility is going to create ultimately physical inflexibility, and that mm. is going to put me in a whole lot of hurt. Mm. Yes. So the, so the ego, I have to, I, here's the, I have to say this okay. in favor of the ego. We all need a healthy ego. Yes. It's not about getting rid of the ego. I totally I agree. I need a healthy ego. Patrick, you need a healthy ego right now to have this conversation and make sense. Yes. If we want to drive an automobile from point A to point B or a truck, we need a healthy ego. Yes. So there, the ego is not always wrong, but it has such a limited perspective, much of what it advises is faulty. Mm. So the ego cannot make a decision. It can only advise. And mm. in this advisory role, the ego is, as you can imagine by the name ego, it's loud, it's pushy, it's insistent, creates a tremendous amount of noise in the mind. That's the ego, one of the four functions of the mind. Yes. Then we have the senses. Now, they are very interesting because our mind projects our creative energy through the senses, mm. you know, of sight, smell, taste, hearing, and touch. Mm. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the senses is always looking for objects that will bring in happiness, make me secure, make mm. me healthy. Mm -hmm. Here's the problem. The senses are very nearsighted. They only see the appearance of what exists rather than the reality. So they're only looking for the front rather than evaluating what's the back. Mm. Accordingly, the senses wind up with all this creative energy chasing after pots of gold at the end of all these rainbows. And gosh, it can be fun when you're, you know, uh, 10 or 15 or 20 or 25, but by the time you get to be 25 or 30, geez, it, it sort of gets exhausting because even if there's some uh, passing pleasure that I experience, boy, it never lasts. It's, mm -hmm. it's always sort of like the Doppler effect, if you remember from grade school. I do. You know, like the train is coming, 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 or it's going, going, going. <laughs> but I want something to last. I, I want happiness to last. So what happens is the, the senses uh, waste a tremendous amount of my creative energy. And it's a little bit analogous to squeezing a tube of toothpaste. We know that if we squeeze a tube of toothpaste, out comes the toothpaste. Mm. But... How, if you, if you needed to, get the toothpaste back into the tube? Well, it's impossible. It's just impossible. And it's the same with our creative energy. Once our mind becomes addicted to employing the senses in a desperate attempt to look for happiness and, and security and, and health, we can never get that energy back. And so... 
It begs the question, well, then how am I supposed to fulfill the purpose of my life? How am I supposed to fulfill all these duties and responsibilities that I have? Mm. Well, it causes a tremendous amount of stress, doesn't it? It causes a tremendous amount of anxiety. And the only way that the senses uh, comes up with, or the ego for that matter, uh, to deal with that is uh, some type of lifestyle choice, which only compounds the issue and makes things worse. Mm. And besides, we all know that when we go on a vacation, at a certain point, the vacation is always up. You know, the vacation could be a drink of alcohol, the drink, or it could be a, a, a purchase of a new pair of shoes or a new, a new uh, cell phone or a trip to Vegas. But those, those vacations are always over, and then you got to come back to the stress and, and the pain. Mm. So you have the ego. You have the senses, limited perspectives. Not that they're all wrong, but often they're wrong. Mm. I mean, I love a good meal. I have a body. I have senses. Life is to be enjoyed. I'd like a fine dessert. But going after every rainbow gets tiresome. So you have now you have the ego, the senses. And the unconscious mind is the repository mm. for all of these habits created by the ego and the senses. And the unconscious mind is a repository for everything that you and I deem essential for self-preservation. Right. So that means all our memories. Some are pleasant, some are not so pleasant. And all our imaginations, you know, what if this should happen? And what if that should happen? And what if neither happens? Mm -hmm. So you have the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind, limited perspectives, often wrong, never in doubt, loud, pushy, insistent advisors, creates a tremendous amount of noise. Mm. Then you have the, the conscience. The conscience, which is the only function of the mind that I mentioned, which can make a decision which can discriminate and determine the conscience has the ability if the mind is quiet and still. Mm. It has the unique capacity to operate as a mirror. And this mirror-like capacity that the conscience has can reflect perfect wisdom from the super-conscious portion of the mind. Mm. Now, that was another game-changer. What's the super-conscious portion of the mind? I, I, nobody ever taught me about that. <laughs> but it's beyond the conscious portion. It's beyond the unconscious portion. It's the same portion of the mind where Albert Einstein saw mathematical equations. Mm. And it's the same portion of the mind where Paul McCartney hears beautiful melodies. Mm. Patrick, it's not going to mean that you or I, if we use our conscience, that we're going to become great songwriters or fantastic mathematicians or physicists. But it does mean that the more that we use our conscience to determine our thoughts, words, and deeds, it has the potential to reflect superconscious wisdom into our conscious mind mm. so that we can make the action, speak the word, and think the thought 
will that will enable us to fulfill the purpose of our lives without pain. Mm. But if we cannot calm the mind down, and the ego senses and unconscious mind are so unruly with so much noise, the conscience cannot reflect superconscious wisdom. Mm. But since the conscience is the only function of the mind that can make a decision, it will simply rubber stamp the loudest voice, which is often wrong. And that's what gets us into trouble. Mm. Wow, Leonard, this is such a useful framework. Um, and a lot of these topics uh, or areas I've explored separately, but I haven't heard them sort of packaged together in such a um, consistent and, and precise way. So really appreciate that. I do have some questions, though, <laughs> that I'd love to, to broach with you. Um, just going back to the ego, I, I totally agree with you that the typical definition of ego revolves something around vanity, and it's much more expansive than that. And the way I understand it, and this kind of speaks to the superconscious that you spoke to at the end, maybe they're connected. Um, the ego is attached to the reptilian brain, and it's a, a very useful tool for us to navigate this 3D reality as an individuated sense of consciousness. That's how I, I kind of view it. Um, and without it, we might be lost but in the expanse and, and sort of be floating around. So it's very useful to, and for survival, obviously, those are the primary uses of the ego. Um, but again, you're right in the, the sense that it, it's often wrong and it speaks very loudly. It's like the loud roommate who won't shut up, you know, that is <laughs> just talking in your ear the whole time. Just like, man, will you and just I be quiet? I love that roommate dearly, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm curious about a few things. You mentioned the senses. Where where do emotions tie into this framework of the four minds? Emotions are very interesting, Patrick. Yes, they are. <laughs> all emotions, all emotions stem from the four, the four primitive fountains that affect all animals. Mm. And that those four are for food, sex, sleep, and self-preservation. These are the mm. four fountains of life. And, and there's a tremendous force that goes through those. And the essential force that goes through these primitive fountains for food, sex, sleep, and self-preservation, that's in thought, word, and deed now, thought, word, and deed. Mm. The essential force behind them, which is much more powerful than a mere thought, is love, mm. which is the most ancient traveler, traveling from eternity to eternity. However, this force of love, which is so powerful and can bring so much good into the world, is changed. Mm. If I believe that I that I am an individual mind body sense complex, that I am the subject, mm. and every object that I can perceive through my brain and senses is just that is an object, mm. and so. The love force, when I am deluded and suffering from ignorance of who I am, if I, if I 
believe I'm the body, if I believe I'm the mind, then that love force is immediately going to change into desire. Mm. It's still strong, but it's a desire for an object. It's a desire for a relationship. It's a desire for something that's going to bring me something. Mm-hmm. And if that desire is blocked, again, that love force changes into anger. Mm-hmm. But if that, if that desire of the love force is fulfilled, then that love force again changes into fear Mm. that I might lose what I have or that I might not even get what I want. (laughs) And these are powerful, powerful forces that must be balanced and used appropriately in service to an action that will enable me to fulfill the purpose of life. Mm. How? Well, if I just operate on the... uh, a limited perspectives, often faulty, of ego senses and unconscious mind, I'm going to misuse that love force for selfish purposes mm-hmm. to enhance my individuality. But the more that I can coordinate the ego senses and unconscious mind to expand their consciousness, to be able to serve the conscience. That's where the music starts. We are in extraordinary times and facing unprecedented challenges. Never in history have we been so connected yet so divided at the same time. Now more than ever, there's a fundamental need and desire for us to come together in community and collaboration, to experience real and authentic connection with our fellow human beings, to be part of a tribe of people who are doing the challenging work of making sense of the world and their place in it to have a safe place to be vulnerable and get the support we so desperately seek as we navigate the complexity of modern life. This is why I've created The Chrysalis, an exclusive online community for people who are doing the deep work of personal development, of awakening, of healing, of peeling back the layers of conditioning and unconscious programming and unleashing their full creative expression through the discovery of their life's purpose. This is for the people who have the courage to say yes to life and to becoming the best version of themselves for their own benefit and for the benefit of all. This private membership group will be hosted away from the prying eyes and ears of the big tech platforms and will feature live group coaching calls, exclusive content and trainings, plus guest speakers, workshops, and more. At its essence, the Chrysalis is about coming together in a thriving community with the shared intention of co-creating the future that we all want to live in. If this resonates with you, go to enterthechrysalis.com for more information and to reserve your spot. Chrysalis is spelled C-H-R-Y-S-A-L-I-S. So that's enterthechrysalis.com. Now, back to the show. Mm, Wow. This is this is fantastic, Leonard. I really appreciate you sharing uh, your time and wisdom today. Um, I've already learned a lot. These are subjects I, I think about and have uh, investigated uh, tremendously. Um, but your framing and the language that you use is refreshing, and the clarity of it is, is amazing. So thank you. Um, 
one of the questions that's coming up for me is you mentioned um, Einstein or Paul McCartney, and they're they're drawing their inspiration from the superconscious. Um, the way I sort of uh, speak to this is that there's a, a field of consciousness, pr- uh, pure awareness, pure love that we all come from. And when we instantiate into these bodies, into these 3D meat suits, that's why we're gifted with the ego to make sense of this reality. If we're an infinite being and, you know, thrown into this physical reality, it's difficult to make sense of it unless we have that ego. So that's very useful, but it's our ability to reconnect with that field of consciousness um, by creating space in our awareness that, you know, reconnects us with that source energy, with the superconscious, where we're uh, attached to the, a field of consciousness, a collective consciousness of where all love and wisdom and knowledge resides and we can draw from it being sort of the antenna like a radio signal drawing in and that's where and this is i'm a songwriter as well so when you mentioned paul mccartney that that is certainly relevant for me because this has happened to me a number of times where so the conscience is our radio exactly yes (laughs) exactly that's all it is it's a pass-through right exactly Exactly. And I've had songs come to me fully formed, you know, from the ether or from the right. superconscious. That's right. And I just become the, the vehicle or the catalyst right. to bring to bring them into That's physical right. reality. And yeah. isn't that a joy? Oh, it's and fantastic. Isn't that a joy? <laughs> it's absolutely right. fantastic. That's this leads right. me to the next question that I love asking, um, because you do say uh, in the subtitle of your book, The Key to Unlock Limitless um, Wisdom and Creativity, is where does creativity originate? You know, it can be from the ether, but there's definitely the lens that it goes through in our mind or our body, and it comes out the other side. So where, where in your opinion, does uh, creativity originate from? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I'll say two things. Okay. Of course, everything originates from one origin. Yes. We call that G-O-D. Okay, yes, right? we do. The supreme, the supreme intelligence. The supreme intelligence. But on a practical level, on this plane of existence, creativity begins with destruction. 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 Okay, interesting. Destruction. Would you mind unpacking that a little bit? Sure. Uh, I have to break the eggs in order to make an omelet. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's it. That's it. Destruction precedes creativity. Okay. Creation. Could you give us a more practical example, say, when it comes to writing a song? Or well, any example. Mm-hmm. So, we, we heard from uh, uh, ancient scriptures, it's in giving that we receive. Mm. So, and this, and this speaks to the power of thoughts. We we have a tremendous number of thoughts every day, maybe 60, 80,000 thoughts a day. Mm-hmm. And when I'm driving into work and somebody cuts me off in traffic, what happens? Often, a flood of anger comes forward. A flood of anger comes forward from my unconscious, which I didn't even know was there right now, uh, a moment ago. Right. But when this fellow cut me off in traffic, all I'm aware of is anger. Mm-hmm. So what am I going to do with this anger? Obviously, if I give it more and more and more attention and act in service to it, I'm going to be in even more pain. In addition, 
the hormones that are surging through my entire physiology are happening, are poisoning me and depressing my immune system, <laughs> causing my blood pressure to rise. It's a dangerous situation for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what do we know about, what do we know about anger? Well, if I were to uh, take my hand and define anger, let's say, here's my hand. And it doesn't represent anger, but I say, okay, hand, uh, do your best impression of anger. Okay. There it is. There's anger. What is it? It's contracted energy. Contracted yes. energy. It's contractive and, and it's debilitating energy. Oh, it's very powerful. Okay. So what did we learn in fifth grade about energy? Oh, it can't be created and it can't be destroyed, mm. but it can be transformed. Yes. We can transform ice into water and water into steam. So what I learned was that I can transform the debilitating and contractive power of fear that is stored in my unconscious mind. And anger, which is stored in my unconscious mind. And greed, which is stored in my unconscious mind. All these forces that conflict, that conflict with my super conscious wisdom. Mm. That's reflected by the conscience. Mm. So the question is, how am I going to transform it? And the answer is, and this speaks to your question, it's sacrifice. We have to give up something that we value, that the ego values, mm. that the unconscious mind values, the ground upon which they stand based on the delusion that they are a separate being. Mm. So if I can take that, that anger in real time and offer it back to the origin from which it came, I will unencumber myself of that, and it will automatically be transformed into strategic reserves of energy, willpower, and an expansion of my access to the superconscious mind. Mm. It's in giving that we receive. Mm. And the more that I do that all day long with seemingly insignificant things, things that uh, the mind is still attached to. And I can sacrifice that which conflicts with my conscience. That creates energy, willpower, and creativity that I can use any time for any purpose. Mm. Yes. I yeah. love that. I love it's, that description. It's like... You know, anger, you know, I, when people tell me that they're really, they have a tremendous amount of anger, a tremendous amount of fear, and a tremendous amount of greed, I say, that's terrific. You're very wealthy. You know, it's like uh, finding a gold mine in your backyard, but you got to get that gold out right. or, or that oil and an oil well out and, and do what? You have to send it to a refinery. It has to be refined because if I, if I, pulled out crude oil, I got it from Saudi Arabia, and I put it into a, uh, a combustion engine, oh, 
that would be terrible because it cost me about $10,000 to have the, uh, the automobile or the truck fixed. Mm. Because why? Crude oil doesn't work in a combustion engine. It only causes damage. But if I took that crude oil and I sent it to Texas or to California or to any place that had a refinery, mm. and I asked them to refine it into gasoline for my friend Patrick, now he could drive around for, you know, 300 miles. <laughs> Beautiful. I love that, how you can uh, transmute the energy into creativity and positivity. Yes. But it takes yeah. practice. It takes practice. Yeah. It takes self-awareness. It takes intention. Yeah, yeah. That's right. and that, that's All of the above. That's all right. Of the above. That becomes my life. Right. And that's a beautiful path to lead, to, to take. Yes. So Absolutely. you really, you know, so life becomes a thrill a minute because you really never know. <laughs> no, you never really know. You know. Yeah, you never know what's coming and you never know uh, what's going to appear. Yes. But it, the promise is that the more that you base your outer action on your inner wisdom, reflected mm. by the conscience, you are always going to be led for your highest and greatest good. Mm. That's what uh, uh, in Islam, the word Islam, it means what? Trustful surrender to divine providence. Mm. Trustful surrender to the supreme intelligence. And therefore, we simply, as you are as a songwriter, become the instruments yes. of this creative genius. Exactly. Exactly. And that is such a joy. <laughs> yes, it is. I couldn't agree more. Um, Leonard, earlier you spoke to the senses, and my, my um, sort of take on uh, how you describe them is that they are somewhat primitive and immature. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious... <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious though, because there is a tremendous amount of wisdom in the body as well, um, in our experience. And we hold a lot of our experience. We hold a lot of our trauma in our body, you know, and, and these are all, um, methods of communication with our mind and our soul to, okay, you know, okay, this is what's happened in the past. This is what we want to avoid. So there, there is wisdom in it. Um, I suppose, I, I suppose the question is, you know, how do we um, use these four functions of the mind in unison, in concert, to to make our lives better? How do, how do we use them together, and instead of being just bit co opted by one or the other? Well, I really appreciate the uh, the opportunity to answer that question. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> because I do this every day, okay. multiple times a day. So I have a relationship. Every relationship means the same thing. I have to take an action. And whatever the action is that I take, it's going to bring about a consequence. Mm -hmm. So I already know what the consequence is that I want to experience. And that is, I want to be happy. I want to be healthy. I want to be secure. I want loving, nurturing, creative relationships to exist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I have a relationship. I'm in the midst of a relationship. I have to take an action. I make an appointment. That's the first thing I do. I make an appointment. I make an appointment with the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind, as well as the conscience. And we all sit around the kitchen table. I, who am the parent of this mind, all the functions are my children. So I'm the moderator. And I say, 
to all four of them. We have a situation here. We've just finished dinner. The question then becomes, are we going to brush our teeth? And I want each of you to weigh in on this from your perspective. Ego, you have the floor. <laughs> well, I don't like it. I'm against it. I vote no. Plain as that. Thank you very much. Take a seat, and we're going to call on the census. Census now? What do you say? Well, the census says something like, I like to be truthful, and uh, I really I enjoyed that meal. Uh, uh, but, you know, I, I really I love dessert. That was, it was terrific dessert that we had today uh, for dinner, and uh, it was apple pie. That's my favorite. And so insofar as this brushing of the teeth routine, I'm against it because I would prefer to have a second slice of apple pie. Oh, well, thank you very much, census. Thank you. Now you can sit down. And unconscious? Well, I'm with the other two. I'm with them. You Usually, uh, I, I vote with them. We sort of vote in a block, and I vote with the other two, ego and senses, because that's my habit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, unconscious. And now, if, you can, if the three of you can just remain quiet, I'm going to call on the conscience, and the conscience will reflect superconscious wisdom and then share it with us. So let me call on the conscience. Conscience? And the conscience says something to the effect, well, I think that we can all agree that this life that we've been living and that we still are living is, it's not really a sprint. It's more like a marathon. It's a long marathon. And for a long marathon, we need strong, healthy teeth. We need strong, healthy gums. We need a strong, healthy immune system. And the superconscious wisdom is telling us that if we can just take a time out for two minutes and brush our teeth, that will provide us strong, healthy teeth, healthy gums, and strong, healthy immune system. So I say, well, that's very interesting. So for the sake of an experiment, why don't we all go into the bathroom and brush the teeth? And then we'll come back to the kitchen table and have another short conversation of what our experiences were. So we all march into the, ki into the bathroom, and uh, we brush the teeth, we come back to the kitchen. And then me, as the parent and moderator, call on the ego. How was that? Well, that was a surprise, the ego says, because I've always equated any kind of a change with some kind of death. And this was a change, but I didn't die. I'm still here, and it wasn't so bad. Okay, well, thank you. Senses, what do you say? Well, I was really in favor of that second piece of apple pie, the senses say. but. You know, when after we brushed the teeth and the tongue glided over my front teeth, I didn't feel that mossy feeling that I really dislike. It, in fact, it was really neat. I like that. Thank you, senses. Unconscious mind, what do you say? Wasn't so bad. Wasn't so bad. So what has just happened? We have done an experiment with the mind. and. 
the ego, senses, and unconscious mind all had somewhat of a pleasant experience instead of what they had expected. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that mean? They trust me and they trust the conscience now because we have done this experiment just a little bit more than they did before the experiment. Mm. That allows me to use that experience, a pleasant experience for the ego, senses, and unconscious mind, where their limited perspective, ever so slightly, has just been expanded. Mm. That's a beachhead for me. Totally. To continue feeding them seemingly insignificant no brainers. Mm -hmm. And every time they are willing to sacrifice their desire not to follow, they'll increase all of our collective energy, willpower, and creativity. Mm. Yes. So slowly, 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 we are re-engineering the software of the mind. Yes. As the limited perspective of the ego, senses, and unconscious mind is expand to increase all and exclude none. Then, slowly, 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 I become a prophet of love as opposed to a prophet of just desire, fear, and anger. Mm. Yes, love that model. So the question that keeps coming up for me now is, okay, if we're, if we're sitting them down and we are the parent asking questions of these functions of the mind, who is the parent? Who is the I that's sort of removed from these four functions? The I, first of all, the voice that speaks that says, I am the parent, that's a role that this mind-body-sense complex is playing. I am not really the author of, of that wisdom. I am a stand-in. I am an instrument, the same as you are the instrument for this superconscious wisdom coming to you in the form of, of a melody. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I am simply the instrument in the form of a teacher. Mm. It's a role. It's a karma that I have been asked to serve. Mm. Interesting. And so I become a teacher. Right. And so I teach my children, ego, senses, and unconscious mind, on behalf of this eternal consciousness, wisdom, and bliss that resides within me, that is me, mm -hmm. having this human experience. Right. Right. So the lesson here is to more fully be trusting our conscious and be off uh, um, operating from that space. So the question that comes up for me, and I even Googled the definition of conscious just out of curiosity before, uh, mm -hmm. and here's one of the definitions I came to is, um, co conscience is a cognitive process that elicits emotion and rational associations based on an individual's moral philosophy and value system, which is, is close to what we're talking about. Not really? No. It, it, well, it's beyond morality. It's okay. beyond right and wrong. Okay. Because because all of those are pairs of opposites. In the right. in in the absence of one, the other appears. Right. And and the superconscious wisdom is beyond the pairs of opposites. Okay. Good and bad, victory and defeat, praise and blame. Our job is to go beyond all of those. Yes. Yes. Okay. So here was here was the question though. So if if we're if our conscious is based on a value system, 
right? It, it, it's, it's, it's evaluating good and evil and good and bad, or, you know, what's best it's for discriminating. It's, it's discriminating. discriminating. It's discerning. Exactly. What's so to the, be done and what's not to be done. That's the whole story. Exactly. What's to be done and what's not to be done. So there's some morality implicit in that. So my question is, you know, if we are, um, and, the, these these human beings that are are placed in this environment basically as blank slates evolutionarily we come into this world because um we're we're uh designed to to learn on the fly to be mimetic to to adapt to our environment right and so we are impressioned and programmed well, well some some people think that uh, we do come in with some programming Yes, well, some programming, absolutely, we have to, but it's not, you know, compared to other species. For example, a horse, you know, uh, a baby calf is up and running right. in twenty minutes. It's got well, more genetic yeah, programming, and they're ruled by they're ruled by instinct. Exactly, exactly. Um, they don't have to rule. Yes, but my question is this: if we are, you know, if we are programmed mostly by our environment and the people around us, our elders, our tribesmen, or uh, our parents, mm -hmm. um, then we are our age, our race. Our religion, absolutely. All these, all these boxes. Yes, but we're onboarding a value system from the external world that didn't generate necessarily from internally. So when we mature into adulthood and we begin to explore this path of relying on our conscience to to make decisions, how much of it is implied or um, informed by this value system that was programmed into us? In other words, it's not naturally ours. So how can we discern if it's actually the true path? You know, maybe we'll program with with value system that is not in our best interest or is in our best interest by but while externalizing harm to others, right? Yes. Is that a clear question? So, yeah, sure. So uh, from prenatal to six years of age, for example, mm. the the baby, the young child, does not have a mature, fully operational conscience to right. discriminate. Right. Determine, judge, and decide. However, the baby, the young child, is still aware, but is aware like a TV camera. Mm. <laughs> and and what fills up the space of the image of a TV camera of the baby? Oh, mom, she's the biggest. She's our first guru. <laughs> and so I'm constantly looking at her face in the midst of all sorts of relationships. Is she smiling like, like Patrick is right now? That means that everything is safe and everything is good. And, I, I, and I'm a good boy, and, and she likes that, and, and that makes me very uh, happy. Mm -hmm. But right. what, what happens when I see my mom or then also my dad, my second guru? What, what, what if they frown and there are lines and, and wrinkles in, in their face in certain circumstances? Oh, that's something to fear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm, they are our first programmers. Exactly. Our, our, okay. Yeah. And so that's very, very powerful. Yeah. And so if and when we are ready to go beyond that evolutionary trajectory of continually going outside of ourselves looking for that pot of gold mm -hmm. when we realize that all these desires that i've been chasing are not bringing me what i am been looking for i begin the process instead of continuing the evolutionary process i begin the involutionary process yes. of going within seeking within and finding the truth within and yes. the more that I can do that through experimenting with the conscience, 
I will come to realize which of the programming that I picked up, that hearsay, is valuable still or needs to be updated. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And again, these are these are principles that I speak to and have studied. I just I think I just use different language, so it's really uh, it's beautiful to hear it articulated uh, from a different perspective. Well, words are just pointers. Words are just pointers. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And coming back to that that notion of um, you know if we originate as pure awareness in a field of consciousness and we instantiate into this three D reality, um, you know, even from the, the point of our birth, which is a very violent and painful mm-hmm. act to be expelled from the the cozy womb of our mother, you know, we're immediately subjected to this trauma and then, you know, the trauma of growing up and that continues, you know, to certain on a, you know, a scale uh, for different for everybody, but I think everybody ex- experiences trauma, but I, my sort of uh, the, the purpose of life for uh, in my experience has been, can we return to that wholeness? Can we return to that state of consciousness of pure awareness of pure love that we were before we came into these bodies. And that's what the human experiment is. You know, we come into these bodies to have experience and to become, um, to, to endeavor to come back to a sense of wholeness. And I think that's basically what you're speaking to. And that requires. That's That's exactly. We have come from the ocean of consciousness and we are destined to return to the ocean of consciousness. Exactly. You bring up an extremely, extremely, extremely powerful and important point. Mm. And that is the birth experience is traumatic. Absolutely. Okay. So (laughs) here I am, I'm in mama's womb and everything is, oh, everything is taken care of. This is, this is really cool. Right. Uh, And uh, uh, everything is nice uh, and, and uh, warm and uh, uh, cozy. And uh, I can hear mama's heart beating. And that is so, so comforting. And, and, and I can, I can hear, hear mama, uh, uh, singing lullabies to me, and and that's just so wonderful. And and then I'm born, <laughs> and and my eyes can't really see or focus, but the light is relatively blinding. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, all of a sudden, I can swallow and I can taste things, but I don't know what's going on. I don't know where I am, and the sounds. Oh my gosh, they're much louder than Mama's heart beating or the gurgling of her tummy. Mm-hmm. And. Gosh, I'm born without any kind of clothing, so it's a little chilly here wherever <laughs> I am. And then what happens? Then I'm introduced to mama's breast, mm-hmm. and I begin, I begin feeding on mama's nipple, on her breast. Mm-hmm. And all of my creative energy... And my attention goes down to that one point, that bindu, uh-huh, like splitting an atom. Yes. And, and, and in the midst of that one-pointed focus of attention on mama's nipple, a bliss and a fullness comes over me, displacing all of the dis-ease and trauma that I was experiencing. Yeah. And in that moment, I, the newborn baby, make my first profound, ignorant conclusion. I am a separate entity. (laughs) Mama is a separate entity. And I don't know where I am, but wherever I am, there are certain objects and relationships that can bring me happiness. 
and take away my pain. Mm. Yes. And so I grow a little bit and I get uh, uh, a bottle of milk and I'm happy. And the channel in my unconscious mind gets deeper. That delusion that I am a separate entity and other objects can make me happy. And mm. I get a stuffed animal and, and the channel gets deeper that I'm a separate entity that there are two, and I'm the subject, and everything is an object. Mm. Mm -hmm. I get a, a nice new suit of clothes, and the channel gets deeper, and my mm. delusion is enhanced. I get a tricycle. I get a good grade in spelling. I get a high school degree. I get a college degree. I get a boyfriend. I get a girlfriend. Each time, the ego is identifying with the object as the cause of my happiness. Mm. which is absolutely not true. Mm. Happiness is the nature of consciousness. It is the nature of me. But the ego and the senses, and therefore the unconscious, concludes, oh, no, no, no. It's the book that made you happy. It's the movie that made you happy. It's your wife. Mm. It's your husband. It's your partner. It's your child that made you happy mm. or angry. Yes. Yeah, so uh, what you're speaking to is that separation uh, is an illusion of consciousness. And again, these circumstances, these physical realities that we're plunged into are, you know, a testing ground for us to, you know, come to that awareness, but it does take practice. It does take um, stilling the mind. It does take uh, evaluating our, our limited beliefs and the unconscious mind, bringing them into the conscious mind. Um, in order to come back to that place of wholeness. And that's, that's kind of how I look at it. Um, but, and there's, and there's many ways to get there. Um, there's not just one path and I think it's different for everybody. Um, but you and mentioned all roads, and all roads lead to Rome, all roads lead to Rome. Exactly. Coming back to that place of wholeness. And if you can achieve that, that wholeness in this physical reality, to me, that's what enlightenment is, you know? And if you come back to that, that awareness, that pure love consciousness, while still being in a physical body, that's what enlightenment is to me. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. Excellent. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Leonard, I feel like we could talk for uh, days and days. It's, it's just so fascinating to, to have this conversation. Uh, it has been an hour already, though. So I'll just ask you a few more questions if you're, if you're okay with that. Sure. Um, well, meditation is one thing that we didn't, we didn't talk about, and that's one of the most powerful tools, definitely in my experience, uh, and you, uh, as the founder of the American Meditation Institute, can you just speak to the power of, of meditation and how, the other question is, you know, how has your, your branch of teaching been received by the American public over the last 40 years? Meditation is a dire necessity. Uh, it is so profound beyond what the culture understands at the present time. And it's, it's just practical. It's mm -hmm. very commonsensical and practical. So in meditation, we give our full, complete, one-pointed attention to one object. Could be a mantra, a word, or a series of words containing the name of the supreme intelligence. Or it could be the breath. Mm -hmm. But meditation, by definition, is a one-pointed flow of mental energy. Mm. Uh -huh. Now, that one-pointed attention 
is the point of genius and creativity. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is, in that moment of one-pointed attention, which is very, very, very pleasant, it creates a space mm. between stimulus and response. Yes. <laughs> oh, detachment. I become detached from all these stimuli. So what's in this space between stimulus and response? Oh, it's freedom. Freedom to choose whether or not to serve this stimulus or not for my highest and greatest good. So in that space that has been created, the skill that I have just learned through meditation, I can use that freedom to check with my conscience yes. to determine whether this is to be served or it's to be sacrificed and transformed. So in meditation, we create the skill of one-pointed attention, detachment, and because that freedom has allowed me to use my conscience, now my meditation practice is making me more creative. Mm, yes. And in the process, I am building the muscles of willpower to do what's to be done when it's not, when it's to be done, and not do what's not to be done when it's not to be done. Mm. So one-pointed attention, detachment, creativity, and willpower are the four tools and skill sets that we learn through meditation. And just because the meditation is over, this 10 minutes that we've been meditating, or 5 minutes, or even 60 seconds for those people that want to start, doesn't matter. But it turns out that I can use those skills all day long, that one-pointed attention, that detachment where I can access superconscious wisdom in that space that provides me freedom and constantly building the muscles of willpower. And that's meditation in action. So it's just a different form of the same process. So people ask, how, how often do you meditate every day? And I say, I try to meditate all day long <laughs> in one form or another. Yes, yes. Pure presence. I love it. I, I couldn't agree more. That um, meditation has been such a powerful tool for me in my my journey, specifically for that reason. I call it widening the gap between stimulus mm -hmm. and response, and that's one that's of my it. teachings. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, one other thing that came up for me earlier when we're talking about God, God, or you know, consciousness, or source energy, or higher power, whatever you want to call it, and this this idea of surrendering to it. Um, I totally agree that's that's a necessary um, path to take, but it has been co-opted by those wishing to uh, increase power and control over the human experience, right? And so initially it was giving your power to God or to the priests that were the arbiters of, of that power. And then it, it transformed somewhat into cults. You know, certain gurus came from the East and entered the West and you give away your power to the guru. Um, and so how do we avoid falling into those traps? now because for me what's necessary to happen is individuals cultivating their own sense of sovereignty and a connection to higher power that isn't arbitrary or um, mediated by some other human being or some other elevated self mm -hmm. right so how do we not fall into those traps and increase our own power of sovereignty and agency and conscience without falling into the traps of spirituality 
another excellent question. Uh, it it uh, brings up the concept of guru. Yes. Which uh, uh, has uh, uh, a very limited understanding in our culture. Guru is a universal force of light that dispels darkness. Ooh. Guru is a universal force of light that dispels darkness. The light is truth. The darkness is ignorance. Mm -hmm. So in every relationship, in every relationship, guru is present mm. in two forms, the outer guru and the inner guru. The outer guru and the inner guru. So whenever we have a relationship, whether it's a personal relationship, uh, that such as we are having sort of uh, a personal relationship now through this digital uh, means, or it could be a secondary relationship through the media. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never met the president of the United States, but I have had a relationship with the president of the United States. Of course. Right? So, <clears throat> guru is always present. So, the when somebody makes a suggestion to you, that is the outer guru. Mm. Mm -hmm. And when that suggestion is made, whether it's personal or secondarily through the media, that person is modeling a way of being for you. So if the outer guru makes a suggestion that is in harmony with the inner guru, Mm. reflected by your own conscience, the superconscious wisdom, then the outer guru is to be honored and respected and served in mind, action, and speech, and you will be led for your highest and greatest good. Mm. Yes. However, if the outer guru makes a suggestion, regardless of whether it's a personal relationship or secondarily through the media, that outer guru makes a suggestion, models a way of being that is in conflict with the inner guru. In conflict with the inner guru, this superconscious wisdom that has been reflected by the conscience, it's in conflict with that. Then the outer guru is to be honored and respected as a vehicle of guru. But because the outer guru is in conflict with the inner guru, we are then obligated to reject mm. the teaching yes. in mind, action, and speech. That's why I tell people one of my most important teachers in my whole life, one of my most important gurus, has been Elvis Presley. <laughs> I fell in love with Elvis when I was 10. Truth. I loved him when I was 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. I'm 75 today and I still love him. <laughs> because I loved Elvis Presley, what does that mean? I gave him a tremendous amount of my creative energy, my attention. Mm. Because I gave him so much attention, I was aware of a lot of the choices that he made many of which conflicted 
with my inner guru. Mm. So when he died at the age of 42 and a friend of mine said, wasn't that a tragedy? I thought and contemplated that question and said to that friend of mine, not for me, it wasn't. Because in many important respects, Elvis Presley taught me what not to do. Uh. He taught me that I don't have to touch every single burner on the stove to know which is hot and which is not. And I'm eternally grateful for that teaching. Right. I don't criticize him because he doesn't act like I want him to act. Mm. He obviously was not able to act in that way. But in his inability, he was still a teacher mm. for me because I claimed that I was his student mm. by giving so much attention. Mm. Yes. So I we think can it's... learn from everybody. Mm. And that's what we need to do rather than just criticize people who hold a different uh, uh, opinion. Remember, mm. G-O-D or whatever you want to call it, the supreme intelligence, in order to be the supreme intelligence, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, must be able to experience the infinite number of possibilities, mm. the infinite number of possibilities. And the only way that this perfection can experience the, in, the infinite number of possibilities is to willingly, lovingly, and selflessly take on limitations mm. like fear, anger, and selfish desires. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so these human beings are limited by their ego, senses, and unconscious mind. There is not a coordination, an active coordination of the functions of the mind. And, and their consciences just rubber stamp the loud, pushy voices of ego, senses, and unconscious mind, in part to teach me what not to do. Mm. Beautiful. <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you so much, Leonard. And just to just a uh, one thing to add to that, and we discussed it earlier. It takes a level of discernment and self awareness to cultivate that that gap within your yourself to be able to reference the outer guru to the inner guru and make the right decision. So it, it it's you know that's what for me what personal development and personal growth or spirituality is is creating that that um, that emptiness within you or that that knowingness within you to be able to make that discernment so beautifully articulated okay last question for you leonard before i let you go and it's uh, it might be challenging um if you were to take all of your experiences and all the knowledge and wisdom gained and distill them down into one message or one sentence what would it be Could you hear that? <laughs> yes, I actually did hear that. The best of the teaching is done in silence. Beautiful. Leonard Perlmutter, thank you so much for your time today. Truly appreciate it. Yeah, uh, your, your new book, Your Conscience, The Key to Unlock Limitless Wisdom and creative, Creativity and Solve All of Life's Challenges, 
is available now. Is it on uh, all platforms? Where, where can people get it's it? It's on all platforms. Uh, 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 we have a website, uh, yourconscience.org, yourconscience.org. Tells a little bit about Leonard, tells you a little bit uh, about the book and where you can find it, which is basically everywhere uh, available. And uh, I teach through the American Meditation Institute. I founded that in 1996, as Patrick, you, you had mentioned. Mm -hmm. And that website is AmericanMeditation.org, AmericanMeditation.org. And if you do visit that website on, on the homepage, there is a link there for a free guided meditation every Sunday from 9.30 to 11 Eastern Time. Uh, it's a guided meditation as well as a philosophical conversation just like you and I, Patrick, have had today. It's free, and then that's every Sunday, and then every Monday you you, you receive a recording of it free, mm. and, and you can use that during the week. So mm. I invite people to take advantage of that. Wonderful. I will put all those links in the show notes. Once again, Leonard, I really appreciate your time and sharing your magic and your wisdom and uh, everything with my audience. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. Have a wonderful day. Take care. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, rate, and review. For more information and show notes, head on over to being-podcast.com. And if you're ready to make massive changes in your life and looking for the support and accountability to make it happen, I'm currently accepting applications for my private one-to-one -one coaching. You can send an email to patrick at patrickcookcoaching.com. We'll see you next time. And remember, life is now. Live your being.